Captain's Log, Stardate 75133.7. Representatives from Beta Z have arrived at the station. Ensign Katie has expressed her excitement regarding the cultural relevance of the exhibit's position throughout. Meanwhile, we await an update from engineering concerning systems that have suddenly gone awry. This episode of These Are the Voyages is dedicated to science and culture. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another voyage here with uh, These Are the Voyages. Um, you guessed it, I'm the captain, Captain Chase McKinney. And uh, joining me again for another little literary trek, Lieutenant Commander David. How you doing, bud? Not too bad. I feel like I just talked with you yesterday. Well, perhaps you did, or perhaps you didn't. Hmm. <laughs> Time travel. Just Time depends on when thing. you put this episode out. That's very true. That's very true. Maybe I put it out today. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was three weeks from now. Who knows? Who knows? No, yeah, we've been, you and I have been seeing a lot of each other with um, the Lower Deck, uh, Lower Decks recaps that we've been doing uh, recently. Um, if y'all are like listening to this in real time or whatever it might be, um, me, you, and Eric been uh, been talking about a little cartoon. And um, Yep. Anyway, our thing apparently is talking books uh, once a month, Star Trek books, and uh, that's either a good thing or a very bad thing, depending <laughs> how you want to look at it. <laughs> um, but yeah, we uh, we've been we've been talking about a lot of stuff, and um, I know you got some some good things going on over at your show. Uh, so what's been just? I mean, I don't we don't really highlight it too much, but uh, what kind of stuff do y'all have um, cooking over at uh, Contingency Plan, your Star Wars podcast? Um, well, I mean, we just wrapped up the Bad Batch, so that is now complete. Um, we just recorded an episode over one of the newer High Republic books, Out of the Shadows, by Justina Ireland. Uh, I think we're going to dive into sort of going back over phase one of High Republic, so that should be an interesting trek through. I, I know that, <clears throat> I mean, I hate to be the critical one, but <laughs> I think we've both been pretty critical of High Republic so far. Kind of um, not exactly what we thought it would be. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that we've also been diving into a lot of comics. There, there's there's such, a, such a string of comics coming out. It's legitimately, there's like two, two, three a week right now. Oh, wow. Um, which is probably too much. Uh, sure. So I have a stack <laughs> that I need to go through and plan some shows. But, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a lot of content coming out. And, and because we're not a, um, like a theory, clickbait theory-based podcast, we kind of have to have content to talk about. Or then you'll just have a two-hour podcast on how our week went. There you go. Which is, I don't know. I'm trying to do quick math in my head. Like y'all usually do like 15, 20 minutes of, of what's up. And then it's, it's some kind of content. So yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, I've, I've told you in the past, like my, uh, the beginning of my week is usually, uh, kicked off listening to your show and whatever shenanigans you and your, your brother are up to. And, um, anyway, if y'all are into, into star Wars, um, go check out, go check out his podcast and, um, Anyways, we'll let you do a little little uh, blurb on how to connect towards the end of this one. Uh, if I, as long as I don't forget, that is, uh, don't forget, don't forget. I'm not. I don't have a positronic brain um, or some weird beach thing to take over my brain. So, um, or do I? Spoilers? Was that spoilery? That might be a little spoilery. I don't know. Well, uh, I mean, if you fought the Black Mountain correctly, and you know. <laughs> ate the hearts of your father whatever that was from lower decks and maybe you have hmm hmm I can't say that I'm not allowed to talk about it David we'll talk about it afterwards I'm okay. sure there's a few ensigns watching or listening so sure you know, sure they're just not ready to know sure all right cool well um, we typically do uh, the last episode of the month 
uh, depending on how it falls, we uh, we do a little discussion on some kind of current or just whatever Star Trek book we feel like uh, talking about or comic or whatever um, each month. But we've been pretty fortunate, at least I think we've been pretty fortunate, to have like new books coming out like almost every month for like almost the last five, six months. And um, we're going to have like a new book to pretty much take us through the end of this year, which is crazy to think about. And uh, anyway, it well, is. it's really, it's really crazy. Um, I've never really known Star Trek to be putting out like books like that, um, like that quickly, that, I don't know, just that quickly in general. So yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that and um, things to look forward to in terms of like the book so that people out in listener land can uh, pick it up. Um, you know, either uh, paperback or audiobook, and join us if they want to. Uh, but we got to talk about this book first uh, before we talk about what's ahead of us. And yeah, Shadows Have Offended, um, a Star Trek The Next Generation book uh, written by Cassandra Rose Clark. Um, for anyone, I mean, it's got a big old picture of Worf, Mr. Turtlehead himself. Um, on the front cover and uh, this was definitely an interesting read and uh, this is spoilery but not spoilery like we don't go into all the little details in our book reviews um, because we want to give you all a chance to go and and read it yourself and this book is uh, pretty darn easy to get through I would say like in terms of like page count it's just under 300 pages with the book and um, depending on how fast you listen to it on Audible, um, you could be done with it in five hours. You could be done with it in eight hours. If you put it on like super slow, it might be 16 hours. I mean, it's whatever, whatever floats your boat. Um, so before we talk about the plot, again, we're going to do like some light spoilers. I mean, like we're going to have to talk about stuff to get through this. But, um, you know, going through this, this just seems like a good like sit by the pool, sit under a tree, like while you're camping or something, fireside kind of book just to, just to, you know, sink your teeth into. This just seems like a vacation book to me. Um, I guess I could see that. Uh, I think that, um, I think that it's probably a book that you don't want to do the audio book on. I think uh, the only thing that I would say just from that standpoint, if because like I, I've even had these conversations with some of the Star Wars books, there are certain books that I think would have maybe we would have even had a better opinion on if would have read them instead of listening to the audiobook. Because I think the, the, the audiobook for this, like just at normal speed, I want to say was like something like 12 hours. It was like 10 or 12 hours. It mm-hmm. was long. No, excuse me. I'm, I'm, I'm completely wrong. I've went through two books this week. So it was eight, eight hours, 45 minutes. So about nine hours. <clears throat> it was too long. It was way too long for the subject matter and content of the book. For a 300-page book, it's too long. Um, so yeah, I, I, guess, I guess the only thing I would say about that is if you have the opportunity to buy the book and you really want to read it, Vacation by the Pool you know, running away from a bear in the wilderness, whatever. I mean, yeah, you know, absolutely. We, we all read at different speeds. I'd probably just pick up the book and read it personally. Nothing yeah, I mean, against Robert Petkoff because he's been pretty solid, but just seemed a little drawn out in the audiobook. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've, I've gone on record um, in, in the past cause we've been having a lot of uh, Robert Petkoff narrated um, audiobooks for Star Trek. And uh, I really like his, his performance in the books um, thus far. Uh, but this this does seem like it goes a little excessive at times. Like, I mean, this is what thirty seven chapters, I believe. Right? Yeah, I believe so. 30, yeah, thirty seven chapters, and like even the last two chapters just seem kind of like, why couldn't we have just thrown that in elsewhere, or why couldn't we have just done this in like twenty five chapters? compared to like the 37 or something like that. Yeah, I kind of feel like what we got was a decent pitch for two separate episodes of The Next Generation. Sure. 
Sure. But then they realized, well, this isn't a screenplay. This is this is a book. Yeah. <laughs> and so it got a little long, long in the tooth, so to speak. Yeah. So this, um, just like the past few books that we've had, there's a historian's note at the beginning of the book to kind of place where it's at. And uh, this, um, just so our listeners know that maybe haven't read this, the events in this book take place during the seventh season of Star Trek Next Generation, just prior to Q's pronouncement that the trial of humanity initiated during the USS Enterprise D's first mission to Farpoint Station has been ongoing for the past several years. So this is taking place um, just prior to All Good Things, the series finale, basically. So we are still on the D. It hasn't been uh, blowed up. It hasn't crash landed or nothing like that, like we saw in Generations. So we we still get to experience the D in all its um, Hilton wall-to-wall carpet glory um, type type of thing. And uh, the other thing about this is it's minor. It's not in your face, but it's still there. Is the um, often forgotten about Worf and Troy romance? Of sorts that's kind of taken place. Yes, where some things should never be, or whatever that Riker line was. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, um, anyways, let me read the back of this, which is like essentially the the, I guess the s- summary plot, whatever of the book. Uh, so just bear with me. The USS Enterprise has been granted the simple but unmistakable honor of fearing key guest to Beta Z for a cultural ceremony. En route, sudden tragedy strikes a Federation science station on the isolated planet Coda, and Captain Jean-Luc Picard has no qualms about sending William Riker, Data, and Chief Medical Officer Beverly Crusher to investigate. But what begins as routine assignments for the two parties soon descends into chaos. Dun-dun-dun! Picard, Worf, and Deanna Troy must grapple with dangerous diplomatic crisis as historic artifacts are stolen in the middle of a high-profile ceremony, while nothing is as it seems on Coda. A mounting medical emergency coupled with the science station's failing technology and no hope of rescue has Dr. Crusher racing against time to solve a disturbing mystery threatening the lives of all her colleagues. How exciting. Next week on Star Trek, The Next Generation. I wish I could do a good Majel Barrett previously yeah. on Star Trek, The Next Generation. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the plot. Yep. So this very much has like the the quintessential next generation uh, A plot B plot thing kind of going on with this uh, one being kind of like this boring like um, hotel conference kind of vibe to it, and the other part being this away mission, right? I mean they're they're both away missions essentially. Uh, one's a diplomatic yeah. away mission, and one is a not that. So, <laughs> right, right, or is it? Question mark. Depending on how you how you interpret it towards the end, I, I suppose. True. Yeah, I mean, you could both you could say they're both away missions, and Jordy's just up in the Enterprise, like, I didn't have to do either of these. <laughs> That's right. I just get to watch the light on the warp core go up and down. This is great, guys. Y'all well, he got to thing. be in. He got to be in command. So there, he's up. He's up on the bridge. You know, he's got his reds on temporarily, just like season one. <laughs> <laughs> when Worf's not doing stuff, you know, potentially taking people right. off. Goodness, you know. So we we I vaguely touched on this before we started, but so Worf is on the cover of this right. book. Right. Right. Um, I thought this was going to be a very different book from what we got. Like, yeah. you know, w- without reading a synopsis, shadows have offended and a big old wharf. Like, it put me in a lot of different, like, Klingon minds. And I had n- so let's, just let's com- go- got a completely different thing. Let's go there, because I was, I was um, kind of um, on the same, like, thought pattern as you might have been. But, like, if without, without ever having read the book, right, like, you know, if you're just going off of, like, judging a book by its cover... What was the story going to be in your head? Well, w- without knowing the, the timeline, again, w- w- without actually diving in, but just seeing the book on the shelf, I would have assumed this would have been like some matter of Klingon honor. Like Worf has to, it's basically a Worf away mission. Maybe he takes someone with him from the crew. Um, you know, and again, depending 
on the time period, whether it's next gen or like DS9 or something, but he has to go to, I don't know, to Kronos and fight somebody. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly what I, I just thought it was going to be more of a Klingon story. And, uh, and it wasn't. And to be honest with you, Chase, uh, I don't think he even should have been on the cover. I think it should have been a dual cover with uh, profile Deanna Troy and profile Beverly Crusher. I'm with you on that. Yeah, like, you know? seeing, so I don't know if you've um, uh, ever looked at the different style of um, the, the, the season, like, DVD, Blu-ray covers and stuff like that. At yeah. one point, there um, I can't remember if it was like the HD remaster, like for like DVDs or Blu-rays for Next Generation, but there was one with uh, one of the seasons and it had Worf on it, and it looked like the 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 Worf that we see on this book cover. So oh. I was thinking again, without really knowing the timeline, like you were saying, that this was going to have something to do with like um, instability in the Klingon Empire and like something to do with like the Romulans and the Klingons like going after each other or something like that because um, we know like Romulans are very like shadow covert like and yeah. they don't see them yeah. as being very um, honorable like warriors basically so I would right. have thought like it would have like put like some major pressure on like Starfleet the Federation and it's like you know alliance or whatever it's it's good relationship with the Klingons and Worf being in between these two worlds like that's, I mean, I know that sounds like, I don't know, complicated, but like that's kind of where I was maybe thinking this could have gone. It could have gone, but just based on this, um, and the fact that, I mean, I'm being a nerd, but there's like a freaking bird of prey and a, a Romulan warbird on the cl on the cover for Pete's sake. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there. Um, yeah, it felt like a it felt like a bait and switch. It felt like maybe somebody like at the publisher was like, ah, so what are we uh, what are we putting on the cover of this? Oh, there's Worf in it. Sure, let's go. People you know love I mean? Worf. Let's let's do a thing. What's that? I said people love Worf. Let's just yeah. throw him on there. Well, I mean, I yeah, I've I've always enjoyed Worf. I was you know I was glad when they put him in DS Nine. I thought it was cool. Um, but yeah, if, if if you're gonna put somebody on the cover, I kind of expect the story to be around him. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess a couple of just general notes here. One, God, I really hate to tear things apart. <laughs> I always feel like I'm being unfair when I when I kind of level like what I feel is constructive criticism. But like even despite it not giving me the story I thought it, it was going to be by the cover, the story itself felt really predictable. Like the twists and everything just didn't really seem very twisty to me. And then I have to say, I was really a bit perturbed by the fact that, you know, this writer did such a great job of replicating mannerisms. Like there was one part I remember she wrote about Beverly Crusher squeezing her fingers into her hand. And I just remember from the series when she do that and you just see her like stare off into space, have that like thousand yard stare. And I was like, I can picture that. Or Worf with his little grin as he's, you know, giving Deanna a thorny, weird Klingon flower. Um, and it's like, I can see that. But then at the same po uh, token, she... I, I don't really feel like she captured the essence of some of what became support characters. And those are basically... I, I kind of think they did Will Riker dirty, and I think they did Captain Picard dirty. It just is what it is. And the last thing I'll say here is that the, the thing that then went from, from being perturbed to just annoyance was the story element from the Crusher line we've seen so many times before in the show. And the fact that it took them that long to understand it is like these are scientists like they've encountered this stuff over and over and over again and there's just no excuse for them to be this slow on the uptake this is the best right. this is starfleet right. for god's sake they they and it i understand it's a literary element but it's it just it it bothered me a bit because i i it bothered me because i think beverly crusher is 
a lot quicker than they gave her credit for in this story. And that was my right. only, that was, those were kind of my gripey things. I hate being a griper, but <laughs> that's what it is. So like, I felt like the, the first third of this book, um, give or take was really unnecessarily slow, unnecessarily slow. Like the first, yeah. like, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to tell, I don't know. I'm probably going to get in trouble saying this, but whatever. I think you could probably skip the first 12 chapters and just start on chapter 13 thereabouts and be fine. Like that just to me, it just seemed unnecessary. Like with the buildup, like with everything that they were doing, uh, still good. I mean, I, I liked, I liked, um, learning more about like plates and bowls and spoons and, um, you know, Betazoid culture. Like I thought that was great apart from like naked weddings and telepathy, you know, like right. we, we learned from the show. So that was cool because like, I think the, like a lot of the stuff that you heard about, like whenever Luoxana um, on the show uh, would like pontificate about like all the things that she has, right? Like all her titles and things like that, that yep. people would just like roll their eyes. Like, okay. And like even Deanna on the show would give her a hard time. Like it's a bowl. Or yeah, keep, keeper of the sacred chalice or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, it's a cup for Pete's sake. Like, who cares type of thing. But then, like, yeah, learning, I really liked learning about, like, the history and, like, the story behind a lot of the stuff and, like, the symbolism and why it was important to people on Beta Z. No, I, I agree. I mean, that honestly was one of the better parts because the thing is, is Luoxana Troy has always been portrayed as a bit of a silly character, True you know, story. someone who, who is, um, perhaps a bit boorish, perhaps a bit like, you know, maybe a little bit too much of a go-getter at times. Um, she, she, she's very open. And I, and I think that like part of the problem that I have with Betazoids and I told you before this, if we if you pick another book with Betazoids in it, I may or may not revolt. Um, but anyway, and it's actually been a while because the last one was the um, the Riker Im book. Imzadi uh, book, yeah. Imzadi, yeah, sorry. Which wasn't terrible or anything like that, but it was just too much Betazoid. Um, but the thing is, is I would get so annoyed if I were on Betazed. If I were like, if I were stationed there like an ambassador, I would, I would, I would hate it not because I don't respect the openness and the trustfulness that they have of each other and opening their minds, but as soon as they set their sights on something, whether it's right or wrong, it almost becomes like a lynch mob society. Because even when they were talking about the, the, the pieces, these important pieces being stolen, as soon as they got like, oh, this is a suspect. Oh, they totally did it. Let's get him. Ah. And, and then you have to calm them down. But, but with, with, with Luaxana in this story, I felt like you actually saw why she was an ambassador, why she assumed these these roles of influence and how she got there. Well, actually, she's really good at it. She's just kind of silly sometimes. You know, she likes to play with Picard. It's her playful side and her Betazoid side. But yeah, I, I liked as she was explaining the whole history. I thought that was... Uh, possibly one of the more, most interesting parts of the book. Mm -hmm. So, so the, the two plots, right? Like, so part one, like part one, like we have like this, um, uh, ferrying of, of stuff and going and traveling to, uh, Beta Z for this important, uh, art, type of thing, this cultural event, um, like this retelling of like Beta Z history essentially is what it boils down to. And then we have this other thing with Coda, what we, what we come to find out is this planet called Coda, uh, if I'm remembering it correctly, that um, needs to like be investigated. It's like this class M kind of planet. It's kind of mysterious in a way. So we have... Well, they, um, they yeah, they, they had, uh, excuse me, I was choking on my own drink there. <clears throat> I had to turn down my mic so I wouldn't uh, get all the coughing. But yeah, they had refugees that they were trying to uh, to settle. Mm -hmm. And Coda was, uh, yeah, class M and seemingly uh, just right 
but they had to run. They lost, uh, what was it? They lost their commanding officer, right? Right. So they were just doing like the last round of tests. Mm-hmm. And stuff starts going haywire, uh, essentially. Things start kind of breaking down, um, like tech and people and especially data. Um, and it's it's got some like weird stuff going on. So... Um, is there where where would you like to start first in terms of like talking about it? We, we, there's more than one way to skin this cat. Yeah, I I think largely what I like to do is if if you want to pick an A or B story and then just kind of run through it because they are pretty separate. They don't really intersect much. Not but. really, no. So I guess let's talk about um, like Crusher and Data and um, all that stuff first, um, just because that might be a little more simple and short. Quite frankly, don't it's forget, pretty short. Don't forget, Will Will Riker was there. Was he though? <laughs> I mean, he he was there. All right. With Munoz and um, ah, shoot, I don't remember the other, the the newer ensign that was a, it was her first away mission. We, we we have them down there, and it's 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 mainly Crusher and Data that anything is yeah, happening 100%. with. That's yep. about it. No, but I mean that—that's what I'm saying, though. So, uh, how many times did did we hear "I'm not an engineer"? During I'm a doctor, not the, an engineer. It, it, but the but the thing is, and this is actually a nitpick I have. So, you know, this is one of those times when when uh, I wish Eric were here because, so there was the episode where Wesley comes back from the academy and uh, that. Uh, he meets that girl who I, I never remember who she is, but she's a an actress, and uh, obviously Ashley Judd, I believe. Ashley Judd, there you go. And they were playing the game. Yeah, the game is and, the episode. Oh, there we go. So in that episode, uh, Beverly deactivates Data, and then also is able to cut very precisely certain pathways so he wouldn't just come back online. I guess. The thing is, is she actually understands a lot about Data's anatomy because she's taken the time to study it. it. It's her patient. So for her to continue to say, oh, I'm not an, I don't know, I don't know it, it just didn't kind of fly with me because at least I felt, and this might be giving her a lot of credit, and I, which I would like to, I felt that she, at that point, would have known quite a bit about Data and would have mm-hmm. been able to like, at least troubleshoot or understand some of it. And that was part of my frustration because again, the payoff punch for this whole story is something we've dealt with. I mean, think about like <clears throat> the story about the, um, the little uh, interdimensional sucky aliens, you know, where Data's having dreams about cutting a Troy cake and so forth like that. Um, I'm trying to that, that silicon life form that they picked up on a on a planet that multiplied and they didn't know what the flashing light and everything like they've dealt with similar situations of things they didn't understand that wound up being I mean essentially life and they figured it out this just seemed like they've had all these experiences but like automatically again it's like there's something here that you guys are just clearly stepping over. It's like, why, why can't you see it? Why can't you see it? And there are even lines from the, from the, the people that were kind of being affected by this whole situation. Uh, one of the line was like, uh, it's like we surrender or something like that. It's like, please just see it. Right. Your scientists just see it, please. It took them a long time to see it. So did you, okay. Oh, and so then also, up. just just one more add-on. Just one more add-on. So, Riker is not necessarily an engineer either. However, he does have an understanding of engineering, and we've seen that in the show. So, the fact that he doesn't, like, help with anything also felt really weird to me. <laughs> you know, he was such a backseat character, and it's like, Will Riker is the... First officer of the flagship for a reason. He's been offered ships for a reason. He's not a one-dimensional person. No. You don't get to those positions by being one-dimensional, so the fact that he seems so one-dimensional seemed more like a 
well, we're just running with this and we're not considering everyone. Well, then don't, don't, uh, don't take him. Just let him be on the ship. He's just the go-between on the ship. I don't right. know. It might be nitpicky, but I just got a little nitpicky. About well, I mean, it. we were just talking about this on our lower decks um, discussion, uh, but like, you know, with with like the the transporter incident that happened in Second Chances, uh, where there's a duplicate created of him, like prior to um, to him being where he is right now. I mean, he was he was um, a gold shirt. I mean, he was he was in operations division. So yeah. I mean. Regardless of like what the full breadth of what he did in the operation side of, of Starfleet, like there's going to be some overlap, you know, with like your security stuff, with your engineering stuff, with your non command, non science stuff. It's going to right. happen. So he's got he's got that stuff in his wheelhouse. It's just not being leaned into. Um, yeah. Which I think is if I can I mean it's kinda of strong to say this, but that's just criminal. Um, in terms of like how it was how it was treated in this particular book, but that's why I said in the beginning who should be on the cover: Beverly Crusher, Deanna Troy. Because mm-hmm. those were the, and, and again, not mad that we're highlighting them at all. That's cool. I mean, they're they're both cool characters. But you that, that was the whole point of of Star Trek, at least to me, is that. At all of these people from all of these backgrounds, all these planets, uh, all situations coming together and figuring it out. Yeah. It wasn't one person. It yeah. was everybody working in conjunction, you know, to to uh, solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And even in the show, you can't highlight every single person on the ship that was maybe in the lab, you know. But we're talking more realism here, but there are people in the labs. There are people that are manning sensors or people that are in security doing this, that, and the other. Like it's, it's an entire ecosystem of all of these different people making something happen. It's never just one person. So here, here's the other thing that I wanted to kind of point out. And, um, it's kind of like a multi-part kind of thing, which is, you know, part of this, um, Coda away team kind of thing is data. Okay. So in the, in the show, we know that there there was this emotion chip and that it was basically just kept on hold up until generations okay and then generations happens data asks Jordy like please put this this thing in me and then it just kind of like fuses and it becomes problematic and then he finally gets a hold of it in first contact okay cool right um here's my here's my question why do we need an emotion chip to for him to like crack the jokes and to say the things that he did in generations when he's essentially doing that in this book. Yeah. I I think the only thing that they, they did in the write off was they said that turn off your slang program. Right. You know, like he, Oh, well you, it's just a program. I think that's kind of how they, how you can brush it off, but no, I'm with you. But like, but like, and I know I'm not getting it right, but um, he was essentially saying like "okie dokie" like multiple yeah. times in in this book, and I'm like, he wouldn't. I mean, in the movies, he would say that kind of stuff. Like when when they were on the the relay station with uh, Soren and Jordy and all them, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Um, he was like making all the comments and and you know like he was stuck like in this like funny comedy kind of. Right. joking humor kind of mode and then it just kind of collapsed in on itself so like there, yeah. th- th- that was just like I'm just thinking like like I know that this book isn't ne- isn't canon but I'm just trying to like make sense of it you know in terms of like the timeline and just like what we know is going to happen in just a handful of months right because like generations takes place like shortly after all good things takes place true so again, I'm yeah. overthinking it, but I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, probably a bit of a continuity. So this isn't canon. No. How? I, I, this is kind of an aside, but like, Star Star Wars is very controlled right now. It wasn't for the longest time, which made it fun. How how is the Star Trek Universal book publishing done? Is it Wild West, or do you have to? sign something or yes or a consortium yeah like i know 
it's it's weird. Like the like the the Picard books, the Picard um, comics, um, even the the comic book that happened with the JJ uh, like with the mm-hmm. JJ films when they first launched, all that was considered canon. But like the the Star Trek Countdown comic, which was the the prelude to Oh Nine. That's now considered beta canon, so it's not considered canon anymore. But the Picard Countdown comic is uh, allegedly Last Best Hope is, Dark Veil is, so um, it's it's confusing to fans like mm. to know what actually is and isn't unless you have like a super secret decoder ring to make sense of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know that I know that all too well. I mean, there were so many timelines and in, <laughs> in, in what we now call legends. Right, right. <laughs> but everything's clamped down. You, you, you can't just write that sort of stuff like you used to anymore. But yeah, interesting. Okay, sorry. I, I was just but wondering. It's, but it's but it's confusing too. Like another thing that's confusing is that it's my understanding that Simon and Schuster was purchased by um, like uh, Paramount or CBS, whatever, oh. or CBS Viacom or something. So it should be part of like the canon stuff. I mean, Simon & Schuster, for the longest time, was, like, the primary publisher of all Star Trek literature stuff. I mean, of course, there's, yeah. like, pocketbooks and, like, other publishers, but, like, Simon & Schuster has typically been, like, the de facto thing. I mean, this is um, gallery gallery books is what it says on the spine. Um, SimonSchuster.com, SimonSchuster.com. So, um, I don't know. We'll have to get the decoder ring and I'll have to get back to you on that. There you go. But um, the other thing, like speaking of like Picard, by the way, and please don't don't shoot me for this, David. But when we got to the beach, you know, when we get to this beach storm, sea storm, this we are one. You don't want to talk to me. You want to talk to him kind of thing. Right. um, I was very much getting like the the whole A.I., um, the admonition kind of thing from towards the end of Picard. Like I was very much getting that that vibe. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. So, I mean, it wasn't it didn't it didn't, didn't pay off that way, but like that's kind of how I was like experiencing it like as it was playing out. It's like, really are we re- rehashing this again? But it ended up working out yeah. just fine. Well, I, I mean, the the only thing that I'll say about all of that whole beach stuff, it was very confusing the way it was written and again I'm not trying to be mean to the writer but it seemed kind of like it seemed kind of like it's like did you take shrooms before this and attempt to write things down or I don't know it just it just it seemed a little bit disjointed but I get it because essentially without like doing too much it's it's based upon dreams and dreams can take you effectively anywhere so it just, I don't know. It was just a little, con- I think that was the only real confusing thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, it had a resolution, I guess. So. Right. As long as it resolved. <laughs> well, was there um, anything else that you wanted to touch on when it comes to um, comes to this away mission storyline? This Crusher storyline, I should say. Yeah, I, I just I I don't know. The it just missed the mark for me. Just missed the mark just in in how I I feel like the characters should have reacted. Um but yeah, that's that's a, oh and I hate repetitiveness. I'm actually extremely sensitive to it. I I think I'm getting worse. I can immediately tell when somebody's trying to either make a point or they, or they really just want something to stick out, but it bothers me because I, it's it's a pattern recognition thing. Biomass. I really needed this per. I, I really needed them to stop saying biomass. <laughs> I, I needed it. To, it was too much. It's just. Can you please grab a thesaurus? I don't know. Find another word. Figure it out. But please stop saying it. It just. It, it it's not the word or anything like that. Like I I don't cringe at moist or anything, but it's just I just need you to stop being repetitive for me, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for this one person, I need you to do exactly what I need you to. Do. 
right. just it, it, it was like said over and over again biomass yeah, yeah. yeah they pushed through the biomass the biomass fell the biomass turned into more biomass this turned into biomass they siphoned the blood and made it biomass please stop <laughs> would you have per- would you would you have uh, preferred biological mass no i would have just preferred them to stop saying it <laughs> oh gosh I, I I just had a similar conversation about one of the one of the Star Wars books because r- right now and this is a complete aside but right now they're trying to repronounce things like I don't know if you've ever had that in, in in continuing literature where like maybe you have a pronunciation of something that's why oh actually well Harry Potter Voldemort well in in some, in the uh, or I think up until maybe book five or six in the audiobooks of the Harry Potter series. They say Voldemort because at one point, J.K. Rowling said it's Voldemort, which doesn't make any sense to me because that seemed more like a French inflection when the guy's name was Tom Riddle and he was clearly British and Tom is a hard T. So the T at the end of Voldemort being an anagram of his, ex- his existing name would have made Voldemort with a T, hard T. That's just my opinion. But in the last two books, they reverted back to Voldemort. That's a good change. In, in some of the Star, uh, the High Republic books that we're getting now, they are changing the pronunciations of certain things due to some of the writers saying, well, that's not how it's pronounced. Right. And it's super duper annoying because <laughs> we're already right. like five books deep and they're trying to do it. So, anyway. You know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned um, um, Harry Potter um, because whenever I was first reading this, and I don't know if I'm alone on this, but when we got to um, Bellatrix, okay, when I was first reading Bellatrix, they, they read her French. Right, I was thinking Bellatrix Lestrange. That's what I. That's that's how I was pronouncing it in my head was Lestrange, and then like the movies come out and it's Lestrange, and I'm like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I I. But the the, the problem is is that they're both British. The, the husband went to Hogwarts too so it I mean if I'm thinking English I would have thought it would have been Lestrange but they read it as yeah Lestrange is fine I just don't appreciate that they read her with a French accent because she's not French didn't make any sense to me that was there was a continuity yeah, we talk about continuity <laughs> we should start our own Harry Potter podcast Oh goodness, we'd have to get two other people so we can replicate the success of others, right? We can call. You know, I got an idea for um, for the the show, but we got. Hold on, we got, we got to remember. We got to get the name just right, okay? <laughs> so here here's the name I got. You ready? Flick and Swish. <laughs> perfect, perfect. I like it. Me and some me and some friends did a joke podcast one time for. It was it was completely aimed at at the at those ladies because we know them, but we called it Avada Kedavra, and the idea was we were going to go in reverse order <laughs> from the <laughs> from the last chapter of the last book, all the you know going backwards. Love it. So it's good stuff. Love it. Harry Potter podcast coming summer twenty twenty two. There we go. Let's do it. <laughs> we just need we need two more. I call. Hey, I already got the blue mic. I'm and, and I'm a Ravenclaw. So here we go. I'm ready. There you go. I'm so ready. All right. Wow, we already devolved. Star Trek? Yeah, let's go back to Star Trek, huh? There's <laughs> always no, I, happens. I, yeah, I, I think I think we kind of beat the beat beat the away mission. I mean, it it was it was okay. I just felt like there could have been some better elements to it. Yeah. That's now, all. so with this little um, art museum, art expo, art something that's going on. Uh, we get like like we were kind of talking about the very beginning of this particular episode. Uh, we get a chance to learn a lot more about Betazoid culture, which I think is like really darn cool. And I think that was a major strength of of this book. Um, yeah. You get to meet more of like the the dignitaries, the people that um, hold like the the sacred, royal, majestic spoons and forks and coffee cups and <laughs> plates and stuff like that and um and like just even like learning um unless i heard i was reading it and hearing it wrong um i mean like i've said on the show before like i I go i bounce back and forth between reading it and listening to it just depending on where i'm at and i seem to recall much like vulcans like vulcans used to be like pretty um raw with their emotions 
people of, of Beta Z, like the Betazoids, were not always like in touch with like their telepathic abilities. Um, so that was kind of neat to to go in the way back machine to kind of like even some of their their origins with with this type of thing. Yeah, it, it was it was kind of fascinating. Um, we we did have I, I don't remember which house it was, but they, we had the one house that actually had learned over time due to the wars that they had how to block their emotions and how and how to block the the sort of telepathic link which would be to modern betazoids taboo because they're they they feel like the need to be always open and i have to say that there was actually one part in here that i wanted to discuss and the only reason it really popped in my head because recently just finished a star wars book and there was a similar uh issue and the issue is, what do you do with somebody who is feeling bad? Okay? So in, in Star Wars, you get the, the Jedi, and they say, you effectively have to let people feel what they're feeling and work through it. You can't help them because Jedi do technically have the power to, in some cases, take away <clears throat> negative emotion or right. throw calm at you. So you feel calm. Cool, right? But they choose not to do that because it's kind of a violation of you as a person who is feeling something that you have to work through and that which is healthy. I mean, you should work through your stuff, right? Whereas in this book, I found it so exhausting and, and this, uh, this isn't negative. I would find it so exhausting to be Deanna Troy because that's all she does. She, she is constantly trying to stabilize people. But I almost wonder from a psychological standpoint if that's even the best thing to do or if it's maybe a little less impactful than I'm making it in Star Wars world. Because she's not necessarily taking away the pain. She's just kind of like maybe propping them up a little bit. But I just thought, God, that sounds so exhausting. Because she did it like almost near constantly with that one that one guest. Yeah. Uh, the, the poet or whatever. Or the hollow right. novelist, I think she right. was. So that was that was interesting. That was kind of an interesting uh, insight into her inner workings because normally we just see her talk to people, right? And like, you know, I know you've asked me like different counseling related questions in the past, just because that's what I do when I'm adulting. Is, um, um, you know, like the the thing that I tell every single client when I start with them is like, I'm not the healer, right? Like, I believe the healing comes from within you, and my job is just to kind of say, hey, let's try this and you decide what you want to do with it. And um, because like one, I don't want the responsibility of fixing the person, right? Like the, the person has to learn to live with themselves and like come up with their own like coping skills and mechanisms um, to overcome whatever it is that's bringing them to my therapy room. So yeah, like it is exhausting. Like at first, like the first X number of, of sessions that you're with someone um, just trying to like say, hey, here's a tool. Hey, here's a tool. This is how you use it. This is how you use this one. Let's try it. Let's try it. Let's try it. Hey, did you try it? Are you sure? All right, let's try it again type of thing. So yeah, it can be pretty doggone exhausting. So I can definitely um, empathize with what um, Deanna has to do on the regular. The only other thing, though, that, that just popped into my head, she actually tried to do that with another Betazoid to kind of try to get them to calm down. And there was a negative reaction because that other Betazoid knew what she was doing. It's like, don't do that. So even with that, that that's where I, I kind of had this sort of debate in my head. It's like, well, in Star Wars, they say don't do it because it's like a it's kind of like a violation. But then Deanna's just seemingly in this book doing it to almost everybody as a mode of influence. And then I kind of think about like during the show, it's like, God, did she ever do like some ambassador that was just getting a little angry with Picard or something. It's like, calm down. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, it, it's kind of a weird, like almost like a free will kind of question as well. I just, I just found it, it, I found it fascinating that it was there. And then also kind of fascinating to think about from a sort of a philosophical standpoint. Yeah. 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 I just thought it was interesting. Like how, um, how things like started to develop in terms of like where the the tableware where all the sacred artifacts went like how yeah. they they disappeared essentially and who the heck was involved in it 
Um, I mean, not to give too much away, but we have quite a few different alien races. I think that's worth mentioning at this point. Um, I mean, of course, we have um, Klingons because Worf, right? Um, we have uh, the ba- the people on Betazoids. We have the Betazoids that are involved. We also have um, Romulans that are involved. We have the Ferengi that make an appearance in yep. this as well, and uh, and Dorians, I believe, as well. I believe so, yeah. Were you at all suspicious of the Vulcan ambassador? Of course. I thought they were gonna. I thought they were gonna do a switcheroo on that. Yep. I really did. It it was one of those guess things that I was half right about, but I totally. I I saw something coming. I just thought that the ambassador would have a little bit more to do with it. But nah, she's just like Loxana's like actual friend. (laughs) She's she's her actual friend. I almost (laughs) thought that. I, I almost like put this plot in my head where she was the one who stole the objects she's a Vulcan she's been here too long she's trying to get in touch with her own emotions and like she thinks that these artifacts will help her do that like the you know I don't know the story of um, I, I don't remember this the, the the like the hero old hero's name what was her name oh shoot um I want to say like Samara, but it's not, it's not it. Yeah. That one, the one that we can't think of, that's who it is. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought it would, would have been like some like Vulcan thing where she's kind of flipped a little bit. She, she pulled it to Paul and went and saw some jazz and was like, Oh, it's too much. I need these things now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then, well, that could have been interesting. Cause you, you could have had like Loxana kind of like talk her down or something like that. And then they get to be friends more. I don't, Anyway, I was just suspicious of that ambassador. She she was cool though. Yeah, maybe maybe um, hasn't hasn't gone completely through uh, colon R. Yeah, you know, like the purging like of all emotions, like we see Spock trying to do at the beginning of uh, motion picture. Right. What did you think about the portrayal of Picard? First off, I think Picard was underused for one, and I think he was mischaracterized a lot. And I felt like there was way too much uh, focus on the fact that he didn't like wearing the outfit that he was wearing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here, here's here's it in a nutshell, at least for me. Picard's always been uncomfortable around Loxana. I get it. I, I 100% get that. But he's a Starfleet captain. He is. He, he, he is... He is trained. This is a guy who is, I mean, in some cases better than ambassadors. (laughs) After a while, you kind of have to get over the fact of the initial sort of feelings. I just felt like if this would have been any other medium, he would have instantly took charge at some point. Yeah, like... The thing about Picard is, like, he is, like, the diplomacy guru for, like, this time that we're in with um, with our, our far-flung future. Like, he is the guy. And, right. I mean, he's been the, the Chadich for um, the Klingon Empire, you know, in terms of, like, the, the rights of succession and, like, the new yep. chancellor and all that stuff. Um, he's like done I can't tell you how many like first contact missions and negotiating of all sorts of different things I mean Betazoid uh, Betazoid, well they did say that by the way they did um, interchange Betazoid with Beta Z at least once in this story which drove me nuts (laughs) by the way Um, but on Beta Z is like um, Risa like diet Risa basically for crying out loud Um, it shouldn't be that challenging for someone that's like negotiated crap with all yeah. sorts of alien species like what's the big deal like get over it yeah well and you, you mentioned Risa and I mean his his little vacation with the uh, mm-hmm. the talks Utah uh, he, he was uncomfortable you know Riker got him with the Horgon you know he got uncomfortable and then after a while when when the situation changed he was Captain Picard he, he got over it so he just never really got over it, which I thought was I thought was very strange. And then 
I mean, I understand you kind of step back and let let the beta set of authorities or whatever maybe do their thing, but he's also looked to. Like, you can tell that they're, like, looking to him, and he just never quite stepped up, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Which is very uncharacteristic. Uh, although I did, there was one part, probably one of my favorite Picard moments. It just makes me laugh every time. Was the the naked now? I'm pretty sure it was the naked now. When he's like, he goes into his room and he's like, you know, he's playing the music and he does that little that little dance. You know, with his hand, he, he does his little cha cha dance. You know, and oh, then he an spins around. Or was it insurrection? No, I'm sorry. I I I don't. No, naked now was when he did the oh, but Beverly. You know, he did like the Beavis and Butthead yeah. laugh. Beverly. No, insurrection. You're right. When he does a little dance and he spins around and he like hits the door frame and. I, he, there was a part where they were like, and he just stood in the door frame, and it just it put that in my mind for some reason. <laughs> and it, like I'm picturing him in these little goofy clothes and so forth. And he had to do some choreographed dance and whatnot. But anyway, sorry, that was my little. Aside. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. I uh, no, I think I mean I think we're we're pretty good in terms of like talking about like the story. I mean like. Um, this is very much a like this could have like easily fit into season seven of next generation this is i I would classify this more as like a novelization of an episode than a book itself which that sounds kind of weird how i just said that but i hope i hope people are picking up when i'm laying down on that so i mean like this just i don't know just kind of feels like a screenplay um for the most part um I'm gonna I'm gonna say something here in a moment, but who who needs to read this book? Like, like who would you recommend this this particular story to, David? Uh, <laughs> uh, th- th- this to me is like a deep cut. So this is like I would probably give this to somebody who has probably read everything else and just needs something to fill time. I hate to say. I, I don't think that it gives a, what I would categorize as a good enough view of any of these characters for like a newbie to read because I think it would kind of put you off of some of the characters, especially like Will and Riker. But, um, but yeah, this is more of a deep cut for me. Okay. Um. So we were talking about like the the cover art would probably need to be different than what it is right now. Yeah. Uh probably put one of the Troys on there or or Crusher on the cover. Uh probably be much more appropriate than Worf, but hey, whatever. Um for anyone that loves Betazoid culture, okay? This is the book for you. So I already know like someone um uh, one of my friends, Rebecca, she loves Deanna Troy, and she lo- just loves the Troys in general. So um, this would be a book that I'd recommend to her, for one. Um, if you're into Crusher and Data, like Data's Day kind of stuff, um, if you if that's like a favorite episode of yours, this might be a book that you want to pick up. Um, other than that, I'm with David on this. Um, like if you got, if you've like read all the other things and you just want to be a completionist. Here you go, type of thing. Um, how would you, how, do you want to go ahead and get into like the rating, like in terms of how you'd rate this thing? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, I think we do um, five stars, I think, with book reviews. I think that's what we do. So, yeah. um, so one being like zero, zero, whatever, one being horrible, garbage, dumpster fire stuff, five being like, this would make Roddenberry proud. Uh, best thing in all the cosmos. Um, how do you rate it? Um, you know, like like I said, I, I think it's a bit more of a deep cut. I think it's an okay story. It's not a great story. I think some of the characters were a little bit mismanaged, um, and it was a little too fluffy for my for my taste. I think it needed to be cut down a bit uh, into a little bit more meat and potatoes. Uh, so I, I mean, uh, gosh, I always hate, I always hate give or grade. My first initial thought would be a three, 
Just a three. Three out of five. Okay. While you're, um, so, uh, hold on. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to also see what other people are rating this thing, but, um, while I'm trying to get that loaded, um, I remember us both talking about living memory very, very positively, which was the, um, original series era book that we, we did last. And, um, I think I gave that one like a pretty high ranking. I think it was like close to like a four, um, like what I gave it. And this one was just kind of like, meh, like it wasn't horrible. It wasn't great. Um, I don't mind it. It's, it's not forgettable. Like I'm going to remember it. Um, so that, that's going to be good. Um, but this is just like, a. Um, I don't want to like relegate it to just like a popcorn kind of book, you know, like a popcorn munching kind of book. Like it's right. not, it's not mindless. Um, it gives you like a little bit of stuff to think about. Um, so for that, I'm grateful. I mean, I'm, I'm think I'm right there with you, David. Like I'm probably going to give it like right in like that three, three and a quarter, 3.3 kind of range. Uh, for this, it's not a horrible book. It's average. It's like slightly above average for the most part. Um, right. But that's about it for me. And uh, I think it's fair. I'm trying to find out like how other people have been rating this book. So, um, what do you use to to find uh, ratings? Usually, I look at Goodreads anymore. That's what I'm pulling up actually. So let's look at what. Um, what Goodreads has. So the, um, okay, there's 93 ratings. There's 15 reviews on Goodreads I just pulled up. And um, the average rating, um, or the overall rating or whatever for this book on Goodreads, it's a 3.87. Okay. So that's fine. Um, I'm seeing a lot of four stars. Actually, a lot of five, fives and fours. Um, now it's more fours and threes. So yeah, I mean, like I think we're we're pretty we're pretty much on track with what like the general uh, consensus is with other readers. So um, yeah, so there we go. Nice. But I promise you, we won't do any um, any beta Z stuff for at least a month. <laughs> we just gotta cool it with the beta zoids for now. You know, we we gotta we gotta just you know we we just gotta get over that for a minute. <laughs> right. 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 Well, um, like I was talking about um, uh, the last like month, month and a half or so, at, at, like the last few books that we've been doing on this, uh, there's a few books that are coming up. Um, there's a new one from the Picard series um, called Rogue Elements. Right, yeah. There we go. Rogue Elements. Got little Rios on it. And uh, this one just came out uh, not too long ago um, here in August. Uh, I think it came out like earlier this week, last week, whatever it was. Um, so we'll be covering that ideally uh, next month. And then after that, we have the trilogy, the Coda trilogy, the first one being Moments Asunder, which that comes out. Uh, when does that come out? Uh, that comes out end of September. So that means we'll be covering it in um, October. Um, and so um, the Coda books will bring us to the end of the year. And then once we get to 22, we'll just we'll figure it out from there. We might we might come back and do like Imzadi 2, um, since we did that first one um, a couple months back, and um, or we might just find something completely different um, altogether. I know there's at least one Deep Space Nine book that's going to be coming out in the near future, um, and judging a book by its cover, it looks like it's going to be like a Kira Dax focus, a Jadzia Dax and Kira kind of focus to it. So who knows? Um, nice. But um, anyways, that's kind of the plan in terms of the books. Uh, just remember those are typically going to be the last episode um, of each month that we do. Right now, we're not um, doing like the, the normal like three episodes a month type of thing. One, just because we have so much content with the shows coming out. Um, and I, I just I have another kid, and that's making it kind of difficult to record. I mean, just real talk. <laughs> real talk. No. <laughs> so unless I can figure out a way for us to shoehorn uh, material in, 
Um, we're just going to be sticking with the shows and then like probably like a book uh, for the time being. And, and if that changes, then I'll, I'll say stuff on the show. But uh, that's going to be the plan kind of going forward for right now, at least. And um, we have our we have Star, um, Star Trek Day coming up here pretty soon on September 8th. Um, and maybe there's going to be some exciting new um, stuff like announcements coming out, uh, release dates, um, new content, whatever it might be. Um, and uh, what else? What else do we have going on? Um, oh, our two-year anniversary for the show will be coming up in October, so um, we'll be putting together. We will be putting together a special um, episode just for that. So, um, hope you guys are enjoying the content so far. And uh, David is doing some great things over at his show uh, with all the projects and stuff that he's doing. And um, I know he talked about what he's up to right now, but just wanted to give him an opportunity to uh, remind listeners of how to. Um, check out his stuff, how to listen to his stuff and interact and stuff. So go for it, David. Oh yeah. So yeah, we're, we're pretty much on all the podcasting platforms by now. So you can find us about anywhere, just uh, the contingency plan podcast. Um, you know, we are on Twitter, although that's, uh, <laughs> I really pay a lot of attention to social media. So <laughs> at TC plan podcast, or we're also on Facebook as well. We just have a page. We don't really do the group stuff. Um, but yeah, episodes drop uh, normally every every Monday morning at uh, you know, six a.m. Eastern, uh, and you know we go over a big plethora of different stuff. So just non-theory based, mostly content based. So but yeah, if you're interested in listening, we're more than happy to have you along the ride. Nice, and uh, not to cross fandoms too much, but are are y'all going to be talking at all about the? Mandalorian making of the season two finale thing from the Disney gallery. Eventually, eventually. Nice. Yes. Uh, I need to, need to kind of work that in. It's just been kind of a chaotic couple of weeks and we, we sort of had a lot of things pre-scheduled, but yeah, yeah, we will be uh, working that in. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, as always, David, thank you for, for joining me for this stuff. I appreciate it, bud. And, um, no problem. anyway, um, we hope y'all we hope y'all enjoyed our, our discussion um we try to we try and keep it balanced and um overall i did enjoy this this book and i'm you know based on david's rating it sounds like he did too um so i mean check it out um let us know what you think um we'd, we'd love to hear your thoughts about you know like the material that we're covering whether it's a book it's a tv show it's a particular topic um you can do all that make sure you get in contact with us check us out trtvpod.com um, and you can send us hailing frequencies um, that way. Um, there's a little drop-down text box, little something or another. It goes straight to our email, so we do see those. We do check those, so thank you in advance for, for doing that. Um, otherwise, if you just want to send us an email, make sure it gets to us at trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. Remember, there's a three-minute timeline, and um, your comments may be used on a future episode. If it goes more than three minutes, well, you are going off to Repente where you're going to freeze to death and turn into a Kirksicle. Um, other than that, um, if you want to mail us something, so, you know, whether it is fish fingers and custard, whether it is a plate, um, maybe it's a really fancy shirt from Beta Z that um, one Captain Picard would hate to wear, make sure it gets to us, P.O. Box 2455 Azel, Texas, 76098. Everyone listening to us today, thank you so much for tuning in and supporting us. And um, as we leave here today, may you always remember to boldly go and make it so.